0: This is Straight Outta Vegas.
1: Straight of Vegas!
2: With the
0: voice of Vegas, your host, R.J. Bell.
2: Pay that man his money. You are now about to witness the strength of street knowledge.
0: Live from the Vegas Strip, the pregame show America has always wanted. Here's Bernie Fratto.
2: Well,
1: as I've said many times before, sports are the greatest reality show invented, and you can script everything but the outcome. That's why this time of year is so much fun. And in our complex world, there are objective truths, and there are personal feelings. And our job tonight and every night is to make sure you don't confuse the two. And on that note, I'm Bernie Frado, We're coming to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio Studios. And I want to remind you, if you're a valued customer, you deserve a simple gesture of appreciation from your credit card company. That's why Discover matches all the cash back you earn at the end of your first year. Discover, exceptionally common sense. Learn more at discover.com slash match limitations. Apply. Tonight, I'm going to open by giving a quick synopsis of NFL analytics from the perspective of some Hall of Fame football coaches. our uh, analytics at an anchor an inflexible anchor, or should they just be a guideline? In about 15 minutes, we'll be joined by Todd Dewey of the Las Vegas Review-Journal. He's the writer and editor of our sports betting column here for the newspaper. Things are a little crazy here in the betting world for obvious reasons, and we'll chop that up. After Brian Finley's update, we'll answer a simple question. Is it good to bet parlays or not? Are they a sucker bet? I'm going to explain. And we'll close with some quick takeaways from last week in the NFL, quick key points of note, and some college football trends to think about should you decide to throw a few shekels in the college football season, which is already underway. Sports are entertainment, but they're more than that. They're a shared experience. As such, people want to talk about them. You've come to the right place. We've got a lot to talk about tonight. This is Straight out of Vegas, the pregame show you always wanted. And as they say in Mike Zimmer, Minnesota... It's going to be lit. Analytics have become such a hot topic, such a polarizing topic, such a lightning rod. They started to actually really take on a a brand new life of their own after Thursday night's game in which the Chargers lost and the armchair quarterbacks came out. Now, look, I am going to say the same thing I've said about analytics for years, and that is, I am not against them. I believe they have a significant place in our world. But my belief is they are not an inflexible anchor. They're a guideline, which means you've got to read the room. I understand all these really smart people and all these TV panel talk shows. You can't abandon the process. Well, congratulations. The operation was a success. You're right, go get them. You showed us, but the patient died. Hell, never mind the horse is blind, just keep loading the cart. Now, of the five times that Brandon Staley went for it, he made it twice. And I don't second-guess Brandon Staley. I think he's not only a bright guy, he's a leader, and I think that franchise is in great hands. But if I'm being honest, and I'm paid to have opinions, I'm going to give you a couple of opinions, and then we're going to get to some... Hall of Fame football coaches and what they think about analytics. They might know a thing or two. You might have heard of these guys. Jimmy Johnson, Bill Parcells, they'll weigh in. By the way, this stuff is nothing new. This stuff goes back to the 70s. I don't care. Don't believe me. Maybe you weren't there. Maybe you weren't paying attention. I'll, I'll always remember the, the first Super Bowl I went to was Super Bowl 14, where the Rams lost to the Steelers as 11.5 point underdogs and they lost by 12 at the Rose Bowl. I've That was my entree into betting, and it was a harsh reality and caused me to be very curious about things. But here's where I'm going with that. Earlier in the year, that that was a very, very good Ram team. Uh, They had a game against, I I believe it was Dallas, and the Rams got the opening kickoff, and they drove the ball, you know, 87 yards, got down to the one-yard line, ended up kicking a field goal. The Rams lost that day. And in the post-game press conference, their coach, head coach, Ray Malavese, who I bet Steve Hartman really remembers, um, was often maligned, often made fun of, but he had some success. Ray Malavese was asked by a reporter, who clearly was much smarter than Ray, that's why he was writing about the game while Ray was coaching it, and he said, why the hell did you go for a touchdown there? Why would you kick a field goal? He gave a very thoughtful answer. He said, I, I knew points were going to be at a premium today, he goes, and I'll be damned if I'm going to take the opening kickoff, go 87 yards, and not have anything to show for it. We tried three times from inside the two, and we couldn't score. So the offensive coordinator made that decision for me. When we got to fourth down, I took the points. And all the years I covered the Lions, we—you uh, know—the the, the belief always was, the first points are the toughest. So there was reasoning there. You could sort of understand the reasoning. It wasn't just a blanket. No, this is the way we do things. By the way, ask the Tampa Bay Rays, uh, ask the Dodgers uh, when they pulled Blake Snell uh, if the Dodger bench was happy when he went out. Oh, but the analytics said you had to do it. How'd that work out? So all I'm trying to say is let's add a little semblance of reasoning to this and make this a guideline, not just an inflexible anchor. So we all know now that the risk-taking in the NFL these days is really kind of off the charts. It's almost impossible to watch a game without second-guessing the seemingly boneheaded decision of a coach, whether you go for it on fourth down in your own territory or you don't go for it. Maybe they'll convert, maybe not, and hold your breath, and you hope what happens. And if you've got a bet on the game, you've got rope burns from your rosary, hoping the thing works out. And then, of course, after the game's over, hindsight's always twenty-twenty. Uh, this is not your father's NFL. I get that. Analytics suggest a fourth down go for it play has a 60 percent chance of success or 80 percent or whatever, or a bunch of numbers. I don't know if they, I don't know what's true. What did Bill Parcells have to say about it? The happy-go-lucky Bill Parcells. he, he said recently, quote, "This analytic stuff, I don't go for it, but don't lump me in with Bill Parcells because I know you guys, some of you folks out there listen very selectively. All I want to say is this. Again, I think analytics have a place. They're a guideline, not an inflexible anchor. But here's what Bill Parcells said. You know, and, and, and I think basically he doesn't watch a lot of football now. He's t- tending to his stable of racehorses. But when it comes to game management, he was not only very good at it, he considers himself old school, he's proud of it. And Parcells used a saying that I think is stupid, get off my lawn, this is get off my lawn guy talking. Why, you can't have good advice without being an old curmudgeon? I don't don't go for that crap. When you start talking about analytics, Parcells said, everybody's an expert. See, Parcells went on to say, quote, I saw this happen in boxing when they came up with CompuBox. This guy had so many punches and so many power punches, so therefore he should just win the fight. It made everybody an expert. But in reality, there's more criteria than just punching, like game." Uh, like ring gamesmanship, unquote. Now, the NFL numbers, frankly, they do have sort of an undeniable comparison and likeness to CompuBox stats. It's kind of a copy box flavor when it comes to situational decisions. Now, through 13 weeks, NFL teams have attempted to convert on fourth down and two-point conversions at an absolute record pace based on NFL data. There have been 528 fourth down plays this year, not including the games tonight. 275 conversions. That's a 52% success rate. They're on pace to top the 658 fourth down attempts from last year, and last year there was a 55% success rate. Now, there have been 111 two-point conversion tries, including Baltimore's failed attempt in the closing seconds of a loss at Pittsburgh recently on Sunday, and they're in line to top the 131 tries from last season once again the most since the league, began officially tracking that category in the early 1980s. Now, in real life, the numbers reflect cases like coach, the coach for the Lions, Dan Campbell. who goes forward on fourth and one from his own 28-yard line with just four minutes to play against the Vikings a couple of weekends ago. Now, the Lions were leading 23-21 when Jared Goff was stuffed for no gain on a sneak, so the Vikings quickly turned the field position into a touchdown. But Campbell ended up getting his first NFL victory when Detroit drove to win on the game's final play, but it was hardly a victory for quote-unquote analytics, right? Because it almost blew it because of the decision by Dan Campbell that seems like it's the group think crowd, crowd noise, you know, uh, echo chamber that if you don't do it, you're stupid. Jimmy Johnson also weighed in. He said, quote, I think a lot of the decisions are made with analytics and percentages. And they forget about their team and their opponent. Coaching in the NFL has always been a risky business. It's just that in today's game, too many of the decisions, and particularly some choices early in the game, are very difficult to justify. Except when you add analytics to the mix. Johnson went on to say some coaches fall back on analytics too much. I feel like the risk-taking has gone to another level, which, again, kind of falls into my line of thinking, let's look at the risk-reward aspect of this. I, too, believe that the first points of the game are the hardest. And if you go on a 75-yard drive and you, you, it's, you're stuffed at the one, you've given the other team momentum, you've got no points to show for it, and, again, think about what Ray Malavese said, the former coach of the Rams. I'll be damned if I'm going to go on a 12-play, 80-yard drive, get to the one, try three times, get nothing, and have nothing to show for it. Just something to think about. By the way, interestingly enough, during their heyday, both Bill Parcells and Jimmy Johnson, each of whom won two Super Bowls, were considered, quote, liberal risk-takers back then, but Jimmy Johnson kind of laughed when he reflected on fake punts and surprise onside kicks. And, uh, you know, Parcells knows, too, his strategy. You know, it wasn't always by the book. But they, I think, they had an ebb and a flow and a feel for the game and where it was going. When Par, Parcells also admitted, quote, when I was coaching, I went forward on fourth down quite a bit. But he wasn't doing it because of the percentages. He says, quote, "I was doing it because I had Jumbo Elliott and Mark Bavar as blockers. They were dominant. You could count on them. If they, if, if the Giants needed one yard to move the chains or get into the end zone, the bottom line is." They were going to win their one-on-one battles. He said, but for someone who says you should just go for it on fourth and one because that's what the book says, what they don't know are about the mismatches. You see, what if you're lining up against Reggie White on the other side? Do the analytics take that into consideration? Now, both Parcells and Johnson enthusiastically lauded John Harbaugh's decision against Pittsburgh for their merits as a calculated risk. Because after Lamar Jackson's six-yard touchdown pass to Sammy Watkins cut the Steelers' lead to to 20-19 with 12 seconds to go in the game, Harbaugh opted not to tie the game and go into overtime. Harbaugh explained that with his star cornerback, Marlon Humphrey, suffering a season-ending torn pectoral injury, he had little confidence in his depleted defense and the fact that they could hold up heading into overtime. So he played the percentages, and he went for a two-point. Conversion that resulted in an incompletion. I'm actually going to spend a lot more time on this, and maybe later in the show, and in, in a couple weeks. But you you really have to take into account the ebb and flow of the game, the situation, and the individual matchups. The truth of the matter is, you see, going forward on fourth and one, going for a two point conversion, those situations are not created equally. Analytics analytics are basically just statistics. They're numbers on paper. And it's not that I don't believe in statistics. And I also don't believe the statistics and percentages take into account the nuance of an individual NFL game and what's taken place uh, the last two hours. So there you have it. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. But the, the notion that you blindly do it every time... Well, ask Chargers fans who believe they might have won that game could have used those nine points. I don't know. Again, I'm not going to second-guess Brandon Staley. I'm merely saying that you have to wonder if taking the points in the beginning of the game and at the end, if going for it and getting the extra three points, which would have have given the Chargers a two-score lead, would have made a difference. You just have to ask that question, and in that situation – Because not all risky plays like that, going for fourth and one, and going for a two-point conversion, are created equal. Much more on this, maybe later in the show, we'll be taking you to 3 a.m., of course. And as the season goes on, because analytics aren't going away. They're here to stay. Uh, They've become a dominant part of football and conversations in Monday morning quarterbacking. And the one thing analytics can tell you is what happened yesterday. They're not always going to tell you what happens tomorrow. Coming up, we wish we could look into a crystal ball and tell you what's going to happen tomorrow, given the games now on Monday and Tuesday, and we've got eight NFL games in the next 10 10 days, and I'm not going to talk much COVID tonight. I'm COVID it out. Let's play ball. Let's play the hand we're dealt, and let's see what happens. But coming up, Todd Dewey. Lead journalist of the Las Vegas Review Journal, the sports betting column. He'll join us, and we'll take you out to Vegas and give you a look from behind the counter. I'm Bernie Fratto. I'm coming to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio studios. This is the pregame show you always wanted. So don't go away. You're listening to Straight Out of Vegas.
2: Straight out of Vegas.
1: The great Bernie Fratto, folks. or wherever you get your podcast. all right back on fox sports radio i'm bernie fratto we're coming to you live from the las vegas fox sports radio studios we'll take you up to 3 a.m tonight at this time i want to welcome in a gentleman longtime friend of mine he is the sports betting reporter of the las vegas review journal say hello to todd dewey todd how are you buddy Oh, doing well. How you doing, Bernie? Happy holidays. Right back at you. And uh, by the way, congratulations, because word has it that the annual NFL uh, Las Vegas Review Journal Challenge picks, you're leading the you're leading the pack uh, with a thirty nine and thirty record against the number uh, right ahead of uh, West uh, Westgate Superbook uh, VP Jay Cornegay. Congratulations, Todd.
2: Oh, thanks, Bernie. Yeah, somehow um, I'm clinging into a slight lead here. Four weeks ago, would be nice if I could keep it going.
1: And well, that's because you're wicked smart. That's the way I see it. All right, let's jump into it because we're in interesting times. But as I've told people, whether it's COVID or something else, these are you know Vegas has dealt with these types of issues before. So give folks a peek behind the counter, uh, Todd and Win. Covid issues arise and players are out and they have the book has to take numbers off the board. Talk about the process that pivots that the sports books use from that point to reset the uh, betting lines.
2: Yeah, talking going to a couple of the sports book directors this week. It's uh, Craig Mucklow, the VP of trading at Caesars. It's the craziest week he's dealt with in 25 years with with all the line moves caused by COVID. Um, on the Browns, Washington and Rams, you know, three teams that more than 20 players each on the COVID list. The numbers have been uh, swinging uh, every day. The numbers have been going up and down. Like for instance, 11 point swing in the Raiders Browns game, the Raiders, <laughs> the Browns opened as six and a half point favorites. And then the Raiders were as high as four and a half point favorites Friday before the, they moved the game Saturday to Monday. Now the Browns, are back to three-point favorites. It started off on Tuesday, went from six-and-a-half down to three when eight players were put on the list, including Jarvis Landry, uh, Austin Hooper. And then Wednesday when Mayfield and the coach and some defensive stars went out, the Raiders flipped to the favorites by one-and-a-half. And then when Case Keenum, the backup quarterback, tested positive on Thursday, the Raiders jumped up to three-and-a-half-point favorites. And they went a little more before the game was moved. And now with the Browns expected to get some players back, you know, the Browns are a field goal favorite. And uh, same thing happened on the Eagles-Washington game. Eagles moved by double digits. Eagles are two-and-a-half-point favorites when Washington's top two quarterbacks went out. The line soared to 12-and-a-half. And And now that that game got moved to Tuesday, it's down to six-and-a-half. And And the Rams is another big one from seven-point favorites over Seattle. To four with guys like Vaughn Miller and Jalen Ramsey and Odell Beckham out. And then when the game was moved Tuesday, the Rams have uh, crept back up to six and a half point favorites. So a ton of different line moves uh, because of the COVID.
1: Yeah, I've been following it. And I noticed that today Cleveland minus three here against the Raiders, which is close to home. I know the Raiders are upset about the game being moved. We're going to come back to the NFL in a second. Talk about the process by which books set lines on bowl games. You and I both know a lot of it just comes down to motivation, but you got to start with math. Seems to be a little trickier. What are your thoughts on bowl lines?
2: Yeah, the bowl lines have been kind of crazy now too. You know, like five years ago, you never even heard the terms opt-outs and the transfer portal. Uh, but now <laughs> it's a, you know, now it's a big part of the sports vernacular and the bowl game. So many players, uh, I guess five years ago, when Notre Dame linebacker Jalen Smith, a projected high first-round pick, suffered torn ligaments in the Fiesta Bowl, and he slipped from the first to the second round, lost millions. The next year, Christian McCaffrey and Leonard Fournette sat out, and that trend has just exploded now. So many guys sitting out games rather than risk injury for the NFL draft. And so better to trying to anticipate who, which players might sit out. Like, there was a 12-and-a-half-point swing in uh, the Nevada-Reno-Western-Michigan bowl game. Nevada opened six-and-a-half-point favorites, uh, and now it's swung to Western Michigan is by six. After quarterback Carson Strong and some other players opted out, also uh, you, uh, the Reno coach, Jay Norvell, uh, left for Colorado State. And so, yeah, the opt-outs and transfers now, you've got to keep track of all those, uh, almost like NFL preseason, keeping track of all the info on who's going to play. And, of course, you know, still with uh, which teams are motivated and the coaching carousel, which is off the rails now, like 28 different changes.
1: It's amazing. Uh, Pittsburgh and Michigan State tee up. And Kenny Pickett, who will be a first-round draft race quarterback from Pitt, and Kenneth Walker for the running back from Michigan State. Neither one are going to play. This is just the world we're in. All right, let's go back to the NFL, Todd. Uh, where are the books finding their liability tomorrow, and uh, which games uh, uh, will have the biggest decisions for the books?
2: Hmm. I look at. It. I know there's a ton of favorites, so I'm sure they're going to need the Ravens. The Packers is shot up from four to seven point favorites. With Lamar Jackson questioned while he didn't practice this week. John Harbaugh said there's a chance he could play, but uh, betters are loading up on the Packers in that one. Uh, The the books are actually probably going to need the Texans with uh, Jacksonville shot up from three and a half to five point favorites almost instantly when Urban Meyer was fired, and I guess betters expect the addition by subtraction in that game, as well as you know that they're they're playing the Texans, but the books, the favorites have been on a big run in the NFL 11 and three against spread last week. And the first two uh, games this week, the chiefs and tonight the Colts both covered. So uh, there's seven favorites, a seven or more four and double digits tomorrow. And uh, you know, the betting public typically bets on the favorites and the overs. So uh, the books are going to need one of, uh, one of the, touchdown or more underdogs to win outright to to knock out a lot of parlays and teasers and uh, if not you know hopefully the betters will if all the favorites come through again the betters will have a nice christmas
1: todd i just got about a minute uh but as we get closer to the final four national championship games alabama cincinnati michigan georgia Uh, How has the handle been on those games thus far, knowing that full well 24 to 48 hours is when the real money is going to come in?
2: Yeah, like you said, all the action on those games uh, will definitely heat up in uh, the the couple days before those games. uh, But uh, there there will definitely be a ton of action on those games, and there's going to be a lot of action. Michigan is a really... Popular uh, public underdog against Georgia, especially because betters typically will bet on what they saw last, and that right. was Georgia struggling against Alabama and, and Michigan uh, dominating Iowa. Uh, you know, after taking on Ohio State, so I think Michigan uh, is going to get a lot of action.
1: Todd, I always appreciate your time. I know you're busy, and the good news is folks anywhere in the world can read your column. Go to ReviewJournal.com, Sports, Betting, and look for Todd Dewey's column two or three times a week. It's the best information you'll find anywhere. Todd, good to talk to you again, buddy. Happy holidays.
2: You too, Bernie. Thanks for having me.
1: All right, thank you. That is Todd Dewey, the, uh, uh, the lead columnist for the Sports Betting column here in Las Vegas, the Review Journal. Should you bet parlays? In other words, to parlay or not to parlay, we'll chop it up next. But first, let's go to the man. The heck with Urban Meyer. This guy's an urban legend. Let's go to Brian Finley with the latest. Thanks, Burns.
0: So we had that NFL game from tonight, and Carson Wentz, the Colts quarterback, did not have to do much. He relied on his potential future running back in MVP in Jonathan Taylor who went off for 170 yards in this game on the ground including that 67 yard TD as the Colts hang on against the Patriots 27 to 17 and he was up 20 to nothing and then New England got to within three and then of course that Taylor late touchdown. Wentz's numbers by the way 5 of 12 through the air just 57 yards he had one touchdown toss and one interception and with that loss the Patriots are now numbered three in the conference playoff positioning with the Chiefs right in front of them. And then Indianapolis is now in the fifth spot as far as the conference playoff rankings are concerned and hold that top wildcard spot ahead of the Chargers thanks to a tiebreaker. As far as college football action, a couple bowl games wanting to mention here. Number 23, Louisiana averts Marshall 36-21 to 21 at the New Orleans Bowl. The Raysian Cajuns had 20 unanswered points in the fourth quarter here in Los Angeles, Utah State comes back and beats Oregon State 24-13 at the Jimmy Kimmel L.A. Bowl at SoFi Stadium where Calvin Tyler Jr., the ball carrier for the Aggies, had 100, 120 yards rushing. He actually used to play for the Beeves, was on that team for four years, goes up against them, rushes for over 100 yards and a touchdown. Also, Western Kentucky gets the job done against Appalachian State 59-38. Hilltoppers quarterback Bailey Zappi had six touchdown tosses in the Boca Raton. Bowl. As far as the NBA, the Wizards slip past the Jazz, 109-103. Bradley Beal cooking up a season-high 37 points. How about those Cleveland Cavs? They've won six in a row after they don't back down against the Bucks, 119-90. The Thunder got a last-second three-point make from Shea Gilgis-Alexander at the Horn to take down the Clippers at home, 104-103. The Raptors victorious over the Warriors, 119 to one hundred. Of course, Golden State was playing without Steph Curry. For rest purposes, Draymond Green, Andre Iguodala, Andrew Wiggins all out with injuries. And then there was the Magic winning against a short-staffed Nets squad, 100-93. No Kevin Durant out with COVID-19 protocol purposes. And then quickly from college basketball, number one, Baylor gets a win on the road in Eugene against Oregon, 78 to 70. Adam Flagler made five threes. He finished with 16 points in the the contest as the Bears now jet out to 10 and 0 on the season. And then finally, number six, Alabama hangs on against Jacksonville State, 65 to 59. Of course, Bama made it to the Sweet 16 last year and there had a couple interesting games here, Bernie. Things have gotten pretty close. But again, with college basketball, there's so much time to figure things out. Our focus, of course, is on football and the NFL. Back to our guy
1: in Las Vegas. It is Bernie Frato. All right. Thanks so much, Brian. All I can say is Bailey Zappi now makes my all-name team. Yes. He's probably a <laughs> candidate for captain. All right. Thanks so much, Brian. All right. Parlays are a fun favorite thing for recreational bettors to do. And When you bet a parlay, as you know, you need two outcomes. You're betting two Game side by side, it could be a side, it could be a total, and a two-team parlay pays thirteen to five, meaning a hundred dollars would pay back two hundred and sixty. A three-team parlay is six to one, a four-team parlay is ten to one, and so on and so forth. So the odds are alluring, but I am telling you, it is not the way to have success when it comes to betting. I do not mean to be harsh, and this will come off as harsh. The parlays are a sucker bet. The truth of the matter is the odds are heavily against you for having any kind of long-term winning strategy betting parlays for any reason. I, I know it's fun and it gives a better a fighting chance to uh, you know, increase your percentage of winnings with a little boost in the odds there, but over time, it's gonna crush you. The truth of the matter is betting is a grind if you wanna make money. If you wanna grind out profits, And it's tempting to fall for higher payouts vis-a-vis parlays. But remember, you need, again, two positive outcomes, and the odds are never in your favor, all right? Just to be even in this business, you have to win 52.38% of the time. And that's not easy to do uh, because the house charges a little thing called a vigorous, uh, which is the fee that you pay to make the bet. You bet $110 to win 100 That's a typical scenario. And obviously, you know, you got to win more than you lose. And grinding it out, uh, you know, you got to win more than you lose to make money. I mean, that's the obvious Captain Obvious statement. But grinding out 55% winners can be very, very difficult, which means if people are being honest with you, you're typically most of the people you know, they don't make a living betting sports, that's for sure. And that doesn't mean profitable players aren't out there, but the vast majority of bettors, they simply end up "quote unquote" giving to the cause for the entertainment experience. And that, you know, what? There's nothing wrong with that, and as long as you do it within reason. I mean, if you go to a movie, you buy popcorn and a couple of cokes and some raisinettes to throw at the screen if the movie's bad. Uh, no, actually, don't do that. Hit your cutoff, man. Uh you thirty, forty, fifty bucks. So you know. So what if you throw thirty, forty, fifty bucks on a game? Just be smart with your bankroll. The truth of the matter is, and they've done studies on this, the vast majority of people get high making the bet. They don't get high winning the bet. Only a small percentage of people really, really, really want to win. Most betting enhances the viewing participation uh, of the sport. It feeds their competitive spirit. Most bettors are upwardly mobile, educated, have good jobs, normal lives. They just like to bet. But the betters that I know of, and I've been doing this decades, past and present, who've actually demonstrated consistent winning seasons truthfully. They look at parlays as a sucker bet and they avoid them at all costs. I get it. They're fun. They give the the you know the casual better a fighting chance to win a lot by putting up just a little. But over time, if you really keep track of this, the odds are gonna crush you and they're gonna crush your bankroll. And I know that people will nod their head and do this and you're still going to get up later today or tomorrow or depending on where you're living and you're still going to bet parlays and you can you know you 14 parlay 20 bucks you hit them all that's going to pay 200 bucks and guess what the odds of that are probably 30 to 1 and the book's going to give you 10 to 1 those just aren't good lot odds again that, that 20 Uh, put it on a game or bet the game side by side if you like them and I'm not trying to tell you what to do or spend your money for you but for the sake of profit and for the sake of your sanity try to avoid parlays at all costs that's what the smart guys do and I will tell you the percentages and the odds and the statistics and the data over the years suggests that it's virtually impossible to win simply betting parlays coming up a couple of very key things to watch in terms of what we learned from last week in the NFL that we'll head into tomorrow. Uh, I'm going to share that with you. And in addition, I want to talk about a 65% bull trend that's legitimate and, and uh, on the, the one key word that determines who you should bet on in these bowl games. It comes down to one thing. And if you can figure this out, you can make money in the bowl season. I'll tell you about it in just a second. If you're a valued customer, you deserve a simple gesture of appreciation from your credit card company. And that's why Discover matches all the cash back you've earned at the end of your first year. Discover, exceptionally common sense. Learn more at discover.com match. Limitations apply. I'm Bernie Friday. We're coming to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio Studios. This is the pregame show you always wanted. So don't go away. You're listening to Straight Out of Vegas. One of the best in the business, Bernie Fratto. We are back on Straight Out of Vegas, the pregame show you always wanted. I'm Bernie Fratto, coming to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio studios. And before I go any further, I want to thank my broadcast team back in Los Angeles, turning all the dials, keeping us glued together, so we can bring you this radio show. That would be. Chris and Brian Finley on the updates, and, of course, Bo Benson. Thanks, guys, and my team will be with me until 3 a.m. Pacific, 6 a.m. Eastern. So, man, we're just getting started. All right, couple things. First of all, the Colts did themselves a huge favor tonight. Heading into this week from last week, there were five AFC teams that had seven and six records. But only two of them, Indianapolis and Buffalo, would qualify for the postseason. Well, Indianapolis did themselves a real favor tonight. They're currently eight and six. Meanwhile, five NFC teams have six and seven records. Currently only one, Washington would qualify for the postseason. Two teams, two sleeping Giants may really be waking up, and one former giant may be going the way of the Dodo Bird. Okay, first, if the Dallas Cowboys can dispatch a quality opponent like the Washington football team on a day when Dak Prescott doesn't play well. He scuffled. And, and running back Tony Pollard, he wasn't even available last week. Then look out. That may be a sign Dallas may be ready to do something in January. They now have a three-game lead in the NFC East with four games left to play. Their defense continues to create big-time opportunities. Last week alone, five sacks, four takeaways, and the defense scored a touchdown. Keep that up, and you're live. All right. All right. As another sleeping giant, the Chiefs woken up. They've scored 82 points in their last two games. They both raced the Raiders 48-9 to last Sunday. And you have to wonder if the Raiders, in a move that will be questioned by the greatest philosophers from now to the end of time, why the hell they had to go stomp on the logo before the game? What is that about? All right, now I get it. The silver and black won there in 2020, but this year, KC paid them back. Sweeping Vegas, a collective 89 to 23. The the, the Chiefs had to go on the road in a tough environment, cross country to Los Angeles, and they looked very good doing it. And the way they won, the way they came back after looking like they were done, uh, top credit to the Chiefs. They have championship DNA. And early in the year, remember, I talked about that defense, 28th against the run, 30th overall, giving up seven yards of play, Uh, shame on me. Andy Reid always manages to figure it out. And huge credit to Patrick Mahomes, who has made some corrections. But the Chiefs and their championship DNA appears to be showing up. I'm not jumping to any conclusions yet, but they look like they're on the way to winning their division again. All right. The Baltimore Ravens were getting very close to uttering the following statement. I'd like to thank you, thank the Baltimore Ravens for participating in the 2021 season. Please show yourself out and help yourself to the home version of the game. Look, Tyler Huntley, their backup quarterback, he played reasonably well in, in relief last week. But as long as Lamar Jackson has that bum ankle, that is simply an injury the Baltimore Ravens cannot overcome. Period. Period. If Jackson is forced to miss any more time, and I'm, it's my belief he's not going to play Sunday. I don't know. Maybe, maybe there'll be a miracle, or something. But uh, if going to my head right now, I don't think he's going to play. We'll see. And despite retaining first place in the AFC North, even though the Ravens lost to Cleveland in Cleveland last week, the schedule makers are not kind to the Ravens in their final four weeks. They've got the Packers. They kick off in a little over 10 hours here. Then they've got the Bengals, the Rams, and the Steelers. Other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play? You better hope you have a healthy Lamar Jackson. Otherwise, what was looking to be a very promising season after a lot of odd last-second wins, including against the Lions, after that 88-yard field goal or whatever it was, look, I will never count the Ravens out. But right now, it feels like they got one foot on the grave and the other on a banana peel. We'll see. Uh, As I mentioned earlier with Aaron and Jason Martin, Week 14 could have been the worst year for the sportsbooks last week because the favorites were not only 11-3, and the only public dog that was super popular among the recreational betters, which can really run up a line. Baltimore was catching three against Cleveland last week. Even though they lost, they covered what saved it, the handle isn't quite as high right before Christmas because people are spending their money on their Christmas shopping. All right, Maybe they're spending money on bowl games too because there's a couple of things you need to know about. Now, there's 37 bowl games. I know some people will want to bet them all because if it's on TV, you got to have something on the game, right? Okay, why not? It's your money, but you're just looking to have fun. You're not really looking to win then. But what's the one word? I talked about this. Uh, A minute ago, what's the one word that has to do with determining who you want to bet on in a bowl game and determining who might win a bowl game and, of course, cover the spread? And if you do just a little bit of homework, it's not hard to find these things out. And that word is motivation. It is all about motivation. Who wants to be there? Who's excited to be there? Who's looking at this as a special event, a marquee event, a lifetime event? as opposed to, well, we had much higher hopes for a better season and we were hoping to be in a more marquee, visible, you know, special bowl game. Well, here's a classic case in point. Yesterday's game, Northern Illinois was catching 10.5 against Coastal Carolina. Now, I talked about this at a previous show. Northern Illinois was winless in 2020. They came back this season to win their conference title. First team in the history of college football to ever do that. Winless the year before, come back the next season to win their conference title, helped by Michigan State transfer Rocky Lombardi, who came to Northern Illinois. They were super motivated to win this game versus Coastal Carolina, and they were getting 10.5 points. Now, keep in mind, Northern Illinois actually won six games outright as an underdog this season. Meanwhile... Coastal Carolina, they were the only school in this entire bowl field not to cover the spread against a single bowl opponent. Now, they're a good team. They're expensive because the year before, all they did was destroy teams, so now you're paying the Coastal Carolina tax if you want to back them. Okay, let me skip to the chase, all right? Coastal Carolina won by six but not by ten. They're not a big-name school, but they had higher aspirations other than the Cure Bowl. Then they lost to App State and Georgia State. Didn't even make the Sunbelt title game. The win came out of their sails. Motivation, Northern Illinois had it. Coastal Carolina not as much. Here's a 65% bull trend. When a top 10 running team faces a team who's not top 10 in rushing, they cover 65% of the time since 2000. The reason: the average span between the bowl game and your final game is 24 days because passing attacks become rusty, running attacks don't. Georgia State, Air Force, and Army all fall to that category. And by the way. Don't bet parlays. We've got a ton of stuff for you between now and 3 a.m. We're just getting started, so keep it locked right here. That's going to do it for Straight Out of Vegas. Next up, Fox Sports Sunday on Fox Sports Radio. I'm Bernie Frattle. Keep it locked. Straight Out of Vegas!